Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. And as we've been doing these past few weeks, let's stand together and read the Lord's Prayer. Starting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can be seated. Well, two Sundays ago, we read Matthew chapter 6, verse 11 from the Lord's Prayer. And we spent a few minutes focusing on one part of that verse specifically. And that is the phrase, your will be done. We said then that out of the entire Lord's Prayer, those four words, your will be done, may be the most difficult to pray. To pray, your will be done, is to give control of our lives to God in a world that values personal autonomy. To pray, your will be done, is to place God's desires ahead of our own in a world that tells us our desires are sacred. And to pray, your will be done, is to submit our individual rights, freedoms, and comforts to something, or rather someone, greater than us. So that is a difficult prayer to pray. Your will be done. Thankfully, Jesus prayed it and lived it. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray it and is teaching us to live it as well. But today's portion of the Lord's Prayer, verse 12, is just as challenging as verse 11. One author describes verse 12 as one of the most frightening requests that we can ever put to God. One of the most frightening requests we can ever put to God. We'll read it again. Matthew chapter 6 verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now what's so difficult about this portion of the Lord's prayer? What makes it so frightening? Why is it sometimes stomach-turning, as Joshua mentioned? Well, that's what we'll discuss this morning. So open up to Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Feel free to follow along here in the room and at home as well if you're watching on video. But before we do any reading, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. I pray that as we continue to work our way through the Lord's Prayer, that we would be reminded of the honor it is to come into your presence. Thank you that we can approach your throne with confidence and prayer, that we can speak to you knowing that you hear us, that even when we don't always know what to say, as Paul tells us in Romans, your spirit helps us, your spirit intercedes for us. And so, Lord, thank you that you are a good father who patiently listens to your children. Thank you that you care for our needs, both big and small, like we talked about last week with our daily bread. And, Lord, thank you that the whole reason we can come into your presence, the whole reason we can dare speak to you and expect you to listen to us, 
is because we are forgiven by Christ. So, Lord, help us remember that today. Help us understand that more deeply. And I pray that that would motivate us and inspire us to forgive others as well. We love you. We worship you. Thank you for this time we have together. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, depending on which Bible translation you read or which church cultures you've been exposed to or even which movies and TV shows you've watched, you may have heard different versions of Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. The version that we just read used the word debt. Forgive us our debts. Some versions employ the word trespasses. And still others, inspired by the account of the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Luke, simply use the word sin. But no matter which word you prefer, debt, trespass, sin, the overall message of Matthew chapter 6 verse 12 is the same. We are acknowledging that we have done wrong and that we need God's forgiveness. As God's creatures, we naturally owe him love, worship, and obedience. But none of us has fully given him that. So in that sense, we are in debt. We have gone places that God has told us not to go. In that sense, we are guilty of trespassing. And we have missed the mark that God laid down for us. We are sinners. And our sin makes praying Matthew chapter 6 verse 12 an immense challenge. And quite frankly, an impossibility apart from God's grace. Left to ourselves, we follow in the footsteps of our parents, the very first sinners, Adam and Eve. And like Adam and Eve, when confronted with our sin, our first reaction is not to confess it. Our first reaction is to try and hide it. Instead of asking for God's forgiveness, we often jump to justifying our sin. We are gifted at claiming ignorance of our sin. We are quite experienced at shifting blame for our sin. But there is none of that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. The first part of the verse, forgive us our debts, is a simple, direct, and humble recognition that we have failed to obey God by the standards he has laid down and deserve judgment for it. It's an appeal for mercy from the only one who has the ability and the authority to give it. And that is God himself. So to pray this prayer is incredibly difficult. In fact, it's something that we can only do with God's help. When Donald Trump was running for president in 2016, he was asked about his faith, which is pretty standard practice in an election year. And along the way, the concept of asking God for forgiveness of sins came up in the conversation. At one point, Donald Trump said, I like to be good. I don't like to have to ask for forgiveness. And I am good. I don't do a lot of things that are bad. I try to do nothing that is bad. And P.S., before you roll your eyes too hard at those comments, 
I'd be willing to bet that while we might know better than to come out and say it like that, we often think the same things. When we're confronted with our sin, we often tell ourselves that I like to be good. And I am good. I try to do nothing that's bad. We sometimes think the same things. But then later, when asked if he had ever asked God for forgiveness, Donald Trump added, I'm not sure I have. I just go on and try to do a better job from there. I don't think so. I think if I do something wrong, I just try and make it right. I don't bring God into that picture. It's hard to own up to our sin. It's hard to confess that we have fallen short. It's hard to acknowledge that we need forgiveness from God. Every single one of us. So that's a short look at what makes the first part of verse 12 so difficult. Forgive us our debts. But what about the second part? After we read forgive us our debts, we add the phrase, as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we also have forgiven our debtors. The first half might be the most difficult part. But the second half is what we often find the most frightening, especially when you combine it with verses 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, an addendum of sorts at the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Your trespasses. So take a moment and think about what we just read. Think about those words. Jesus seems to be teaching that our ability or inability, our willingness or our unwillingness to forgive others is directly associated with God's forgiveness toward us. Think about that. That really is disturbing. Because deep down, I think we all know that we are often far better at holding grudges than we are at offering forgiveness. And on top of that, it's frightening to hear Jesus seemingly imply that we have to earn God's forgiveness through our forgiveness of others. We prove ourselves worthy of God's forgiveness by how much we can forgive those around us. Now, wait a minute. I thought the Apostle Paul said that we were saved by grace, through faith, not by works, even works of forgiveness. But before you misunderstand Jesus's words, before you think that Jesus and the Apostle Paul are contradicting each other, perhaps one of Jesus's parables can offer A little bit of clarity. We can flip over to Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Before we get to the parable itself, we see a conversation between Jesus and Peter. Verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to Peter, I do not say to you seven times, 
but 77 times. So it all begins when Peter asks a question that many of us would share, if we're being totally honest. What are the limits of forgiveness? How many times do I have to forgive my brother or my sister? At what point do I cut that person off? How many times do I have to get burned? How many times do I have to get taken advantage of before I stop passing out chances at forgiveness? Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. Lord, do I even have to give them seven chances? Well, Jesus uses numbers more than once in this passage to get his point across. When he tells Peter to forgive his brother not seven times, but 77 times, he is not telling Peter to keep a tally of wrongs each person in the world has committed against him. And when they get to 78, poof, forgiveness runs out. Sorry, I've met my quota. I no longer have to forgive you. See, I even have the spreadsheet. You're done. 78. That's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is that there is no limit to how many times you forgive your brother. There is no qualification concerning what specific sin that brother or sister has committed. There is no exception for how sincere or insincere their pleas for mercy are. You, Peter, you, disciple, forgive. Period. How is that possible? Look at the parable, starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Keep that in your head for a second. 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him. The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Ten thousand talents. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, much less than ten thousand talents. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you almost word for word what he had just said to the king. Verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Ten thousand talents. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
This parable is often referred to as the parable of the unforgiving servant. And once again, Jesus has fun with numbers to get his point across. That servant owed his king an absolutely absurd debt. Jesus gives an utterly ridiculous and intentionally unrealistic number. 10,000 talents. A debt that no servant could possibly accumulate and no king would possibly allow. And with a number so insane, it's silly that the servant would suggest that he can pay back the king if he just has a little bit more time. So the king miraculously, graciously forgives that outlandish debt. But then the story takes a dark turn when that same servant, the one forgiven so much, calls to collect what others owe him. The man who had just been forgiven a literally unbelievable debt shows no mercy at all to someone who owes him far less. Someone who owes him pennies. So the king hauls that unforgiving servant in, calls him to account, and he is thrown in jail until his debt is repaid. Which again, considering how absurdly large the debt was, that means forever. So what's the point? How does this parable clarify what we read earlier in the Lord's Prayer? Well, that first servant forgiven an insurmountable debt by his king, was in no position to withhold forgiveness from someone else. And the fact that he did so illustrated his failure to understand the weight of his own debt to begin with. It showed that he did not remotely grasp, did not at all appreciate the mercy that he had just been shown. And in the same way, if we as disciples are unwilling and unable to forgive those who have sinned against us, it calls into question whether or not we have truly understood the weight of our own sin against God and the incredible mercy that we have been given. The point is not so much that we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. The point is that an unforgiving disciple is an oxymoron. An unforgiving sinner is an unforgiven sinner. An unforgiving disciple is not really a disciple at all. Christians are a forgiven people. The forgiveness of our sins is a core, foundational, bedrock truth of our faith. It's not a coincidence that this portion of the Lord's Prayer is the only part that gets that extended commentary when the prayer is over in verses 14 and 15. It's just that important. The Apostle Paul really drives home our identity as forgiven disciples In the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter one, verses 13 and 14, Paul writes, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. A chapter later, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, trespasses, Lord's Prayer, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. There is the Lord's Prayer again that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In some of Jesus' final words with his disciples, as he shared communion with them before he was arrested, Jesus says when he takes the cup, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, For the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Accomplished through Jesus' broken body and shed blood on the cross. Is the basis of our salvation. Christians are a forgiven people. Forgiveness is at the very root of our identity as disciples. The whole reason that we can ask God for forgiveness of our debts is because we know that we are forgiven people. In 1 John, we read that we confess our sins to God knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive them. Well, how do we know that he's faithful and just to forgive them? Because we believe in Jesus. We are a forgiven people. And because Christians are a forgiven people, Christians are a forgiving people. Because God has forgiven our debts, we forgive the debts of others. The way God has treated us shapes how we treat those around us. God's mercy to us calls and empowers us to show mercy to others. As Paul puts it so clearly and so simply in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, he says, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Like the servant of Matthew 18, the debt that others owe us is laughable compared to the debt that we once owed God. The injustices committed against us are trivial compared to the injustices that we have committed against God. No one on this planet can sin against me more than I have already sinned against God. So then who in the world would I be to think that I can withhold forgiveness from others? Who do we think we are to have the audacity to say, forgiveness for me, but not for thee? If we refuse to show forgiveness to those around us, we make a mockery of the forgiveness that God has shown us. And we deserve the judgment that the unforgiving servant received at the end of that parable. Punishment forever. In 2018, a man named Botham Jean was sitting in his apartment watching TV 
And a woman named Amber Geiger walked into his apartment, wrongly thinking it was hers. She assumed that Botham Jean was a burglar and shot and killed him. In the courtroom, Botham Jean's brother, Brant, a Christian, forgave his brother's killer. And the footage of his forgiveness set off a firestorm of reactions. Many people saw this as a moving and inspiring example of Christ-likeness, and rightfully so. Others, also understandably to an extent, worried that his act of forgiveness could be used to trivialize Amber Geiger's sin, could be used to negate her responsibility to pay worldly consequences for what she had done, that his forgiveness could imply that forgiveness is easy, it's cheap, it's quick, none of which is true. But if nothing else, the varied responses showed that genuine Christian forgiveness is still just as powerful as ever. It showed that Jesus' teaching on forgiveness is just as polarizing, just as radical of an idea as ever. Brant Jean's act of forgiveness for his brother's killer did not trivialize the sin that she committed. It didn't mean that she wouldn't have to pay for her crime. It didn't imply that forgiveness is cheap, easy, or quick. What his forgiveness of his brother's killer showed is that he understood the debt that he once owed God, which had been forgiven him through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. It showed that he understood the words of Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. He understood that forgiven people are forgiving people. It also shows us that by the power of the Holy Spirit, who lives in every single believer, genuine, radical, Christ-like forgiveness of even the greatest deaths, the most profane trespasses, and the most wicked sins, it's possible For disciples of Jesus. So the question then becomes. For you and for me. As forgiven disciples. Who are we now called to forgive? Matthew chapter 6 verse 12. May be the most difficult portion of the Lord's prayer. To pray. Even after we believe. It's not easy to confess our sins to God. It's not easy to forgive the sins of others. To do that, we need the support, the accountability, the wisdom of brothers and sisters in Christ around us, and we need the Holy Spirit within us. But we forgive because we are forgiven. We show grace because we've been shown grace. And this goes not just for brothers and sisters in Christ. It even goes for our enemies. As he's hanging on the cross at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They weren't seeking forgiveness when they nailed Jesus to that cross, but he forgave them anyway. 
One of the more recent and common pushbacks against Christians' command to forgive usually goes something like this. You can't possibly know what I've been through. You don't know my pain. You don't know my heartache. You don't know my trauma. So who in the world are you to tell me to forgive? Well, the truth is, I'm nobody. In the eternal scheme of things, I don't have the authority to forgive your sins. And I can't command you to forgive somebody else's sins. But Jesus can. And Jesus does. But don't think for a minute that that implies that forgiveness is cheap. It's not. For a reminder of the cost of your forgiveness, fix your eyes on the cross. And the person who hung there to pay your debt. To forgive your trespasses. To atone for your sin. Whatever debt someone else owes you, whatever trespass they've committed, whatever sin they've done, it pales in comparison to yours and to mine against God. So as the Lord has forgiven us, we also must forgive. May the mercy that we've been shown pour out on those around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you that we are forgiven. Thank you that by grace, through faith in Christ, we are forgiven. We don't have to pay for our sins, but that doesn't mean that our sins aren't paid for. Our sins are paid for. They're paid for by Christ. So, Lord, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for showing us mercy. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for canceling our debts. Thank you for forgiving our trespasses. Thank you for covering our sins. Lord, remind us day in and day out that we are forgiven. Remind us of the wrongs that we have done, but also remind us of the sheer beauty, the sheer power of the cross. That those wrongs which are endless have been paid for. Thank you, Lord, that we are forgiven. And Lord, fill us with your spirit. Empower us with your spirit that we can forgive others. That is not something that we can do by our own power. It's not something we can do through our own blood, sweat, and tears. Pretending that a sin never happened isn't forgiveness. Sweeping it under the rug isn't forgiveness. Telling ourselves that it isn't really that bad, that's not forgiveness. Lord, help us wrestle and grapple with sin and all of its ugliness, both ours and those committed against us. And Lord, remind us that we are forgiven and empower us to be forgiving. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.